Philippians chapter 4, let's begin in verse 10. We're going to pick up here with um, a letter. You know this. This is a letter from a man named Paul writing to a church. And these church, this church and the people in this church are partners of his, partners with him in his ministry. And he says in verse 10, in response to their partnership, he said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though surely you did care, but you lacked opportunity. Have you ever made somebody rejoice greatly? Have you ever done something for somebody or put something in somebody's hand that just made them thank God? That's one of the greatest feelings any believer will ever have in their entire lives, is to do something for somebody else, put something in somebody else's hand, sow something into their life that just brings tears to their eyes and they raise their hands and they lift their voice and they say, not thank you, Thank you, Jesus. There's nothing like that. Absolutely nothing like that. Sarah and I have experienced this uh, over and over again in our lives as the Lord has led us and directed us to sow into people or to sow into ministries. And I can think of just a number of times when, when the response was, this is, this is exactly what we were believing God for. This is a miracle. Thank you, Jesus. It does something on the inside of you. You got to try it. You ought to see how many people you can make rejoice greatly. <laughs> it's a blast. It's an absolute blast. So you see what's going on in Paul's life, He's, life here. Uh, they've given to him. And he says, your care for me has flourished again. Not that you did care, or surely you did care, but you lacked opportunity. You lacked opportunity. When somebody with a heart to give is met with an opportunity or an increase Let's just be honest about it. When money is put in the hands of somebody who has a heart to give, generosity is the result of that. And it can bring change into somebody's life. Look at what he says in verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how. Everybody say know how. I know how to be abased and I know how. Say it again. To abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. How do you do this, Paul? Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You ever heard this one before? I can do all things, how? Through Christ who strengthens me. Notice what he said here. I know how. I want you to say it again. Say know how. I know how, he said, I know how to be abased and I know how to, to abound. Now, don't forget the context of all this. All this is in response to an offering. Somebody, this church got together and because of the change that came into their lives through the word and the revelation that, that, that this man preached, the revelation of Jesus and the light that came on in them, they, in response to that, partnered with him in this ministry. And he said, I rejoice greatly at it because your care for me has flourished. Not that you didn't care, that you lacked opportunity. But then he says this, I'm not talking to you, I'm not speaking in regard to, me, to need because I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how. I know how to be abased, he said, and I know how to abound. Know how in any arena of life 
is valuable, can be priceless. You pay people who know how to do what you don't know how to do, right? Do you know why I have to pay somebody every time there's an issue with my car? Anytime something breaks, anytime something goes wrong, I have to pay somebody else, why? Because I do not know how to fix it. I don't have that know-how, but there are other guys. There are other guys who have that kind of know-how and they will charge you for it. They will charge you for it and they'll charge you dearly for it because of one reason, because they know that you don't know what, how. Know-how is important. Know-how is precious. People who know how get paid. Come on, I said people who know how get paid, right? The more you know how to do, the less you pay other people to do. Just in the last few weeks and months, uh, uh, Sarah and I have been building a new house uh, in, uh, where we live in Texas. And a couple of different times through the process of, of building that house, I, I wanted to go get involved. You know what I mean? I, I, I've always admired guys who know how to work with their hands and they just, they can create things with their hands and they put their hands to wood and nails and metal and steel and it, something works when they're done and it amazes me every time. And I wanted to get involved in this process and I would try to go, try to go help this guy do this or help this guy do that. But every time without fail, I just end up in the way. I end up in the way of people who know how people who know how to do it and how to do it the right way. Now, here's the deal. If you need somebody to stand up in front of people and, and talk about how marvelous Jesus is and, and, and talk about the word and, and talk about the great things from the word, man, I know how. I will be your man. I will be your huckleberry. You know that? Are you familiar with that expression? But if you need somebody to like lay some tile or you know, put up some drywall or hang a curtain rod that will not fall, do not. Do not come knocking on my door. I do not know how. Know how is precious. Know how is priceless. And of all the things you could know how to do, if I were you, I would put these at the top of your list right here. He said, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. How did he know how? Well, if you look more than once here, I think it's twice, he said, I learned this. I learned this. I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. I've learned how to be hungry. I've learned how to be full. I've learned how to abound. I've learned how to suffer need. I've learned how to be abased. I've learned how to abound. Now, over the course of this weekend, tonight, tomorrow morning, this is what we're going to get into. We're going to unpack this, and we're going to leave this place with some more know-how. Anybody excited about getting some know-how? But here's the deal. You start talking about these, these things, knowing how to be a base. Take this, for example. What does that mean? That means, means you don't necessarily have everything you need right at that moment. He talks about being hungry. He talks about suffering need. And a lot of people would listen to that and say, hey, I don't need to know anything else about that. I got that down. I know how to do that. I've been doing that just fine. But here's the, here's the truth. Just because you are abased doesn't mean you know anything about how to do it. 
Try that over on this side, I think, maybe. <laughs> just because you are a base, just because you do have need, doesn't mean you know how to do it and how to do it the right way. And right on the other hand, just because you have a bunch of stuff, just because you, you look around you and it seems that you abound in things, that doesn't mean you know a thing in the world about how to abound. There's a way to do both of these. And we're going to get into this, but let me just kind of give you the, the broad stroke of it here. You do them both by faith. I said you do them both by faith. If you don't know how to be abased in faith, you will never learn how to abound. Never. So I think what we're going to do tonight is jump into the how-tos of abounding. These are things that you and I need to know how to do because in God there is a right way to do it. Maybe you don't have everything you need. You need to know how to live in that moment. Or maybe you have a bunch of stuff. You need to know how to abound in God. You need to know how. Listen to this word he said, I know how to abound. It's the same word that you see Jesus say in John chapter 10. Did you find that? John 10? You're familiar with this. What did Jesus say in John 10, verse 10? He said, the thief does not come except to what? Steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more what? More what? abundantly, abundantly, abound. These are the exact same words. And maybe you've heard about what some of these words mean. It means, it means to have more than enough. Can I get a good amen for more than enough? This is the kind of life Jesus came to give you, not just life, but more than enough life. It means to supersede super abundantly. It's in the essence of beyond. You have the need, but then you have beyond the need. Let me give you one of the words that this word abundantly means, and I don't know if you're going to like it. I don't know if you're going to like this or not, but this is what this word means. Are you ready? The word abound or abundantly literally means excessive, excessive. So you can just kind of feel that religious thing, right? Excessive. Oh, we don't want, no, 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 no. Not at, we're not interested in excess. That's, that's just too much. Excess, that's not what we want. We don't want the excess. We don't want too much. But this is what Jesus came to give. And it's the spirit of religion, the spirit of tradition that tries to condemn people and places and preachers and churches that are operating in the excess. But let me tell you something, excess is not the problem. People have thought that excess was the problem all along. They look around and they see people doing wrong things or empty and vain things with their money, with their stuff, and it's even gotten into churches in different places. But let me tell you something, excess isn't the problem. What you and I need is some mind renewal about what the excess is for. Because Jesus came to give us not just enough life, more than enough life. Jesus came to give you salvation. Would you agree? But it was never supposed to stop with you. The salvation experience 
And not just the moment you were born again, but the life you live with him. Your salvation day in and day out was never supposed to just end with you. It's not a gift to you just to meet your need. You and I are supposed to be so stinking saved that we are full with it and it overflows out of us. And we're just looking for somebody to give this same salvation to them that God gave to us. Because if it really did in your life and mine what we say it did, it should be overflowing out of us all the time. You see, that's what people received from Jesus in his ministry. They just received what he was full and overflowing with. That's why John chapter 1 says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I believe it's the Amplified that pulls out, he was full and abounding and overflowing with grace. And John says, and we all of his fullness, of that overflow, have received grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. People around Jesus, every miracle, every message, everything that came out of the lips of the Christ, the Messiah, was the result of what he was full and overflowing with. Now, here's the thing. People around you, people around me, they're just getting what you and I are full of. The people in your life, husbands, you know what your wife's getting? She's getting whatever you're full of. Ladies, you know what your husband's getting? Whatever it is you're full of. And some people are full of themselves. You heard that expression before? There's a problem with that. Maybe you're nice, maybe you're sweet, maybe you're pretty, but your family is not in need of more of you. <laughs> They're just not. That might be part of the problem. Your community is not in need of you full and overflowing with you. This, this city doesn't need this church full and overflowing with itself. Husbands, your wife needs you full and overflowing and abounding with Jesus. Amen? Wives, your families need you full and overflowing with Jesus. This city needs this church full and overflowing with Jesus, abounding with Jesus. The same Jesus that came and gave you life, that life is now filling up in you and overflowing out of you, and that salvation wasn't just for you, now it becomes for somebody else. The healing that he came to give you, he came to give you abundant healing, which means not just the healing of your body, not just the removal of cancer out of your body, but so overflowing out of you that you're saying, give me somebody to lay these hands on and give them what I got. That's the overflow. Come on, we're learning how to abound right now. Learning how to abound. Abounding in salvation, abounding in healing, overflowing with peace, overflowing with joy. We've got to have some mind renewal about what the excess is for. Why would all of those things be true, but it not be true when it came to material and financial things? Why would Jesus want you to overflow in every other arena of life, but not this one? And when it comes to money, we're so afraid of the excess. 
Honestly, we're not afraid of the excess. We're just afraid of what you might think if you know I have excess. But again, listen, excess isn't the problem. The problem is not knowing what to do with it. That's a problem. When it comes to material and financial things in our lives, money, the problem isn't having enough. The problem isn't having more than enough. The problem isn't having way too much. The problem is not knowing what to do with it. That is the embarrassment of riches. Having so much that all you can think to do is buy another boat. <laughs> what do I do with all this? We're going to get into this. But I want you to understand this. Excess isn't the problem. And there's a, there's a spirit at work, I believe it's even in the church, to try to try to get people to distance themselves from what they think of as prosperity. How stupid is that? Come on, help me out, church. How, how stupid is that? You, you're among family. It's okay. Nobody's going to, if you got some excess in here, nobody's looking down on you. How dumb is it to try to distance yourself from prosperity? People do that for one of two reasons. One, pride. Because they're afraid of what somebody else will think. Or a false pride, or excuse me, a false humility that tries to say, well, I don't, I don't need that. And it's, a, it's this, this false, quote unquote, holiness, if you will. I don't, I don't need this world's goods. Yes, you do. Shut up. <laughs> yes, you do. But how stupid is it to try to distance ourselves from it? The problem isn't the excess. Come on, I said the problem isn't the excess. I'm going I'm to say this until it starts to sink in. The problem is not excess. If you're uncomfortable with excess, you are going to be so uncomfortable with heaven. You're going to be miserable in heaven. Everybody else in heaven is going to be loving it. But you're going to be over there in the corner just with your arms folded. I don't like it. I don't need, what do we need gold streets for? I don't like it. If you have problem with excess, you better get that worked out on this side first. Because our God, in his nature, in who he is, is excessive. He's not just good, he's way too good. He's not just faithful, he's way too faithful. He's way too kind. He's way too merciful. In his nature and in who he is, he is excessive. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally. If you don't believe in excess, ask Peter about the day he met Jesus, and Jesus said, let's go fishing. Throw your nets over there. And they caught so many fish that the boat's about to sink. You don't believe Peter asked that little boy who brought a few pieces of bread and a couple of fish to Jesus one day for lunch. And they fed tens of thousands of people with what? More left over? What is that? That's excess. That's too much. After thousands of people all ate and were full, and then there's some left over, don't you think Jesus knows when to stop? Why didn't he stop? You ready? Here's the revelation. He didn't want to. Why doesn't God stop? He doesn't want to. That's not who he is. He is excessive. And he wants 
to bring the excess into your life, but he can't until you know what to do with it. This is part of knowing how to abound. Go to, um, let's see, go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And if you wouldn't mind, while we're looking for Luke 12, would you put Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18 on the screen? Proverbs 29, 18. You're going to Luke 12. We're going to look at Proverbs 29, 18. Think about the word for a moment, the word provision. Provision. If you are pro something, what does that mean? You are what? You're for it. We need to find out what the excess is for. Because before we're ever going to increase God's way and before he can ever open above us the windows of heaven and pour out on us like he wants to and like we've been hearing about for decades now, we're going to have to find out what the excess is for, what the provision is for. Think about the word again, provision. What's the money for? It's for what? The vision. It's for the vision. Look at this in Proverbs 29, where there is no revelation, New King James says. I believe it's the King James that says where there is no what? Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. King James says the people perish. Where there is no vision, where there is no revelation, the people perish. People are dying without a vision. Now, this word vision that also got translated, like you see here, revelation, in other places it gets translated prophetic guidance. That's what a vision for your life is. That's what having a God-given vision for your life and in your life is. It is God allowing you to see what he sees. I was thinking about it today. An illustration came to my mind, you know, I've got two children. I've got a five-year-old little boy and a two-year-old little girl. And any number of times, probably more than once throughout any given day, I'll be standing next to them and I'm, you know, quite a bit taller than they are, you know, just a few feet tall. And if there's something in front of them that's taller than them, they'll say, Daddy, I can't see. I was thinking about... Uh, almost a year ago, I guess, we went to Disney World together. And of course, if you've ever been to Disney World, then you know that no trip to Disney World is complete without that Main Street parade. And so we're standing on Main Street in Disney World and it's parade time, but of course we didn't get there an hour and a half early, so we're behind everybody. And the parade starts coming down the street, so what do I do? I pick up my son Justice up here where he's at the same height that I am. And now all of a sudden, this little boy who lives most of his life down here and seeing at this level, all of a sudden, he can see. This five-year-old can see exactly what his 36-year-old father can see, even if it's just for a minute. Now, he may not be able to see the way I see, but he can see what I see. But if he'll just keep growing, if he'll just keep developing, if he'll just keep progressing, if he'll just keep living, if he'll just keep living, he'll get taller and he'll get taller and he'll get older and he'll get wiser and he'll have more understanding. And then one day he'll not only see what I see, he'll see how I see. This is what vision from God is for your life. A vision from God 
That moment when you got a glimpse of your future and what God put you on this planet to do, it's literally like he picked up his little child because that's what you are. And for a moment of time, he picked you up in his arms and brought you up to his level and you got to see what he saw. Oh, this is precious. This is precious because most of the rest of the world who lives without the indwelling Holy Spirit, they are limited to only what they can see with these natural eyes. But when you, come on somebody, get a vision from God, daddy has just picked you up in his arms and said, look. And in that moment of time, and even if it's just for a moment of time, you got to see what your heavenly father sees. Now, you don't always see it the way he sees it right then, but you see what he sees. And the thing with vision, the thing with vision, I got, I got to try to imagine being a five-year-old or a two-year-old again, and it's, it's nine o'clock at night, and it's dark all around, and then all of a sudden, millions of lights come strolling down Main Street in this magical world called Disney, and they see something that they've never seen before, trying to process what that must be like for them. They can't make sense of that. For all they know, this thing's alive. What's making this thing move? You know, They don't see how I see it. They don't know what I know about it. They don't know that I know the tricks and where the guy is and who's controlling it. All they see is a great big ball of lights coming down and it's eyes wide open and mouth wide open and they're going, how, how, how does that happen? How does that work? Where does that come from? Why daddy, why daddy, why daddy, why daddy, why, 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 why? They're seeing what I see, but help me out, not how I see. And this is the reason most people, and sadly, most Christians, live without a vision. And when they have no vision, when they have no prophetic revelation, when they have no insight from God and guidance in their life, they perish. They perish. They get a vision, perhaps. At some point in your life, God is going to see to it that you are brought I to eye and face to face with the reason he puts you here. You're going to meet it. You're going to know it if you have not yet already. And I would dare say most everybody in this room has had some glimpse of the calling of God on their life. Maybe when you were a child, maybe when you were at college, maybe when you were in a service a long time ago and something that a man or a woman of God said lit a fire on the inside of you and you got a vision for your life. Sadly, most people choose not to pursue it. Why? One reason. It's because vision will always create a need. A vision from God will always create a need that's bigger and more expensive than what you have in your pocket right then. And when they see that, they see what he sees, but they don't see how he sees it. And when they see what he sees, they think that's too big and there's no way. And that's why people fall into this thing where they say, all I need is enough for me, my wife, my 2.5 children. That's all we need. This is all we need, right? I'm not asking for much, God. And you think you're impressing God by not asking for much. 
God, look how little faith I have in you. I don't need much. I'm not asking for much. I don't want excess. All I want is enough to meet this need right here. All I want is to be able to take care of my kids. I just want to put food on the table. I just want to put clothes on their back. That's all I want. I'm not asking for anything else. And the problem with that is you will leave no impact on anybody for eternity. Because there's no vision to that. All you can see is what's right in front of you. You're like a little child who can't see over the fence. Like a little three-year-old, two-year-old, five-year-old, whatever, that's got something up there in front of them. And it may not even be anything bigger than a hedge of bushes. But that's all you can see. And without a vision, people are perishing. If you're not growing, if you're not developing, if you're not pursuing it, you're dying. Let me be bold about it and say you are dying on the inside. But listen to me, don't be afraid of the need created by vision. You know who doesn't struggle with this? It's children, just like we're talking about. They don't struggle with vision. When you ask a child, when I ask my five-year-old Justice, what do you want to be? What do you want to do when you grow up? He had career day at school last week in kindergarten. What do they know about being, what career they want to be? But you know what Justice said? When they said, okay, you get to dress up in whatever career you want to be, whatever field you want to be in. Justice came home and told us, this is amazing. He said, I want to wear pastor clothes. I want to wear pastor clothes. We didn't make him do that. Sarah and I didn't make him do that. But he said, I want to wear pastor clothes. So, oh, he looks so cute. His little sport coat and, and vest and tie. And he wanted to wear a white shirt like daddy wears when he preaches. He wanted to wear pastor clothes. But you know what? Like a day or so later, he said, he said, I'm going to be really busy when I grow up because on Sundays I'm going to preach. But then at night I have to drive a spaceship. And what was the other thing? Animals? Take care of animals. When? At the zoo. So my, so my son is a pastor, zoologist, and astronaut. I mean, there's no limitations on his vision, is there? He's not struggling with this. He's not laying awake at night going, how am I going to do this? How? How is this even possible? Come on, Justice, get real. Get real. You can't do this. No, it's just what he's, he's and I'm going to be busy, he said. Kids don't struggle with this. And I think it's for one reason. It's because they've never had to meet their own need for anything. It's always just been there. From the time they were born, right? Food was just there. Multiple times a day, it was just there. Clothes were just there. Toys were just there. And even before you were able to comprehend what was going on, they were throwing you parties. And they were taking pictures of you, ripping open, what are these things? And why are these bows on it? I don't know. And they're just, everything's about you and for you. And they're never required to meet their own need. And I think because of that, when he thinks about being a pastor slash zoologist slash astronaut, he's not thinking about the billions of dollars that it takes to go to space. He's not thinking about the, the amount of finances it takes to, to operate a ministry. Come on, Justice, get serious, son. You want to be a pastor? Well, you need to know the hard knocks of ministry, and you're not always going to have what you need. 
He's not thinking about any of that because he's never had to. He has no concept of meeting his own need. And the problem gets into their lives when we wean them off of us and onto themselves. And the most important thing we can think to teach them is the value of a dollar. And how we repeat to them over and over, money doesn't grow on trees, money doesn't grow on trees, what do you think I'm made of money? And we somehow communicate to them our own limitations and we wean them off of us onto themselves because that's how we were weaned. Off of our parents and onto ourselves. But that was never supposed to happen. We are supposed to wean these kids off of being dependent on us to meet the need onto being dependent on God to meet the need. There's supposed to come a day when I sit down with my son and say, Justice, now listen to me. And really, this is already happening. I'm going to say, buddy, you want that? You need that? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to believe God. We're going to go to the word and we're going to find out what the word says about it. And you and I are going to come into agreement and we're going to believe God for this. And we're already doing this right now. Five years old. I'm weaning him off of me meeting his need and onto God meeting his need. This is the know-how to abound. Kids don't struggle with vision. You and I struggle with it because of, quote-unquote, reality. The reality is that vision's too big, God. I could never accomplish that. How could I pay for that? And without a vision, you perish. I want you to see this in Luke chapter 12. Oh, man, running late. Here we go. Luke chapter 12. In verse 13, there was a guy in a crowd where Jesus was preaching, and he interrupted Jesus and said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So this is, this is a money problem, is it not? Come on, do you see this? This is a money problem, and it's a money problem in a family. It's a money problem between brothers. The, the dad has just died, and now these brothers are fighting over the money. Do, do you suppose this is still happening? Is there any chance that this is still going on in the church? Oh, excuse me, out there in the world? Or maybe both? Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance. Same word. One's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. The New Living Translation says it like this. Life is not measured by how much you own. Your life, my life is not measured by the stuff and whether we have enough, whether we have too little or whether we have too much, it doesn't measure your life. And before God can increase you, you've got to know this. You have to know that whatever stuff you have doesn't measure you. Doesn't measure your life. Your life's not measured in dollars. Your life's not measured in square footage. Come on. Your life's not measured in the emblem on the hood of the car. Your life's not measured by the brand and the back of the clothes you wear. Your life's not measured in these things. And to illustrate this, he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself. Everybody say within himself. This is the problem right here. He thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? Man, this 
is a good problem to have. Would you not agree? What do I do since I have no room to store my crops? This is a good question. What do you have or what do you do? How do you abound? What do you do when there's too much? Everybody knows what to do when there's just enough. But precious few people know what to do when there's too much. And listen, if this isn't resonating with you right now because you're looking at your life and your accounts and what you have, or more specifically, what you don't have, you're thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me. You need to get in faith right now and say, yeah, I need to know this. Come on, you need to get in faith right now and say, yeah, this is good information. I need to know because right now I'm on my way from abased to abounding. And when I get there, I need to know what to do when I have so much stuff that I can't do anything with it. I need to know that. So somebody get in faith and say amen to this. Even if that's not you right now, this is how you do it. You get in faith for it right now. What do I do with my crops? So he said in verse 18, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he. So is he what? So is he a fool who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This man has so much stuff. So many crops. Jesus said the ground yielded plentifully and he had so much stuff, but it's evidenced here. He doesn't know a thing in the world about how to abound. So just having the stuff doesn't necessarily mean you're abounding in God. Come on, say, I need to know this. This is where you're headed. If you're not there yet, this is where we're headed. And he said, what do I do? What do I do with all this stuff? He said, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm going to pull down all these barns and I'm going to build bigger ones so that I can store my crops. And then he's going he's to say to himself, he said, so you have many goods for many days. Notice he's doing a whole lot of talking to himself and nobody else. So you have many goods for many days laid up. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Here's a very, very wealthy, very rich man, has a lot of stuff. Somebody comes to him like they do to other wealthy people and they say, what's the vision? What's the plan? What are you going to do with all of this? And he says, you know what? I'm glad you asked. I've thought very long and very hard about this. And what I've come up with, I've got a plan. And my plan for all my stuff, my plan for my life, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to eat a lot and I'm going to drink I'm going to drink and I'm going to eat and then I'm going to eat and I'm going to drink and my wife's always been nagging me about my drinking and my eating but you know what I've come to a place in my life I deserve this is my time I'm going to eat and I'm going to drink and I'm going to be merry and I'm going to say to my soul take your ease you know what take your ease means look it up in the original language you know what it means it literally means do nothing do nothing be completely and perfectly still This is his great vision. 
This is the great vision that this man has with all his stuff. He's got all this stuff around him and the very best thing he can think to do is store it. Listen to me, before God can put more and more and more and excess finance in your hand, he's got to know that you know what to do with it. And money has two main assignments. You ready? Money has two main assignments, sowing and spending. That's what money's for. But yet, you've got a whole culture and society called America and so much of the rest of the world that thinks the main priority with money is saving it. Am I right? That's what this guy said. I'm going to store it. That's his big vision. Store it up. I'm going to store my crops and my goods. What are crops? Crops is the produce from the ground. That's what the ground has yielded. And within crops is seed. And his big plan is not to sow the seed, but to store the seed. Hey, listen, seed's not for storing. Seed's for sowing. I'm going to store seed and I'm going to store goods. These are things that are useful, things you buy, things you spend money on. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to store all of it. But the main assignment on money is not you saving it. Man, I can feel this going over real big right now. But listen to me. The main assignment on the increase of God's goods in your life is not you storing it up. Now, saving it is okay, but the savings account ought to be the place where you put the money that you don't know yet whether it's to be sown or spent. That's what saving's for. Find out the assignment on the money. I heard a woo. Man, thank you so much. That helped me. Thank you. You got to find out the assignment. You want to know how to abound? Get a vision. Get brave enough to let God pick you up and show you something that he sees. And then don't back off the need. Don't back off the need because it's too big. Don't back off, or excuse me, don't back off the vision because the need's too big. Don't be guilty of that. You're not the supplier of your own need. Jesus sent his disciples into town one day and he said, there you're going to find a young colt tied up. You untie it. And if anybody asks you what you're doing, you tell them the Lord has need of this. That's helped me in my ministry big time. These needs I have in, in our ministry, the, the, the buildings we need to buy, the things we need to build out, I look at it and go, hey, that's not even my need. Jesus, I am in perfect agreement with you that all your needs are met, sir, because that's your need, not mine. You are the God who supplies all need. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Do you know where Paul said that? About four verses after he said, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You got to know how. Don't back off the vision. I'll say this to you in closing. Jesus told a parable one day about a man who was working in a field and he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man working in a field who found treasure hidden in the field. Remember this? And for the joy over it, he went and sold everything he had and did what? Bought the field. He bought the field. Can you imagine ladies being that man's wife 
when he came home in a panic and in a frenzy that day and said, we're selling everything. It's all got to go. I don't have time to explain. He's running out of breath. He's running around throwing everything you own in a bag because he's selling all of it. And he's looking around going, do we need this furniture? We need these dishes. We, we need all these kids. We don't need all these kids, do we? And he starts selling everything he can get his hands on. And finally you get him by the shoulders and calm him down long enough to say, what is going on? And he says, okay, I'm buying a field. I'm buying a field. And he buys that field, sells everything he's got and doesn't just sell it, but sells it with joy. And then when he goes and stands out there on the side of that road, looking over at that field, he's got that big silly grin on his face and all his friends and neighbors are walking by kind of in hushed tones, pointing at him, whispering at him. This is that crazy guy that sold everything to buy this old patch of grass. And they're looking at it and they see nothing but dead grass and a pile of rocks and an old dying tree out there in the corner. But it's because they only see what's on the surface. When that guy is standing out there looking at the field, somebody help me, what's he looking at? He's looking at the treasure. I said he's looking at the treasure that's buried in it. He doesn't just see what they see. He sees how God sees. And Jesus said, that's the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom of heaven. In contrast, there was a man that came to Jesus one day and said, tell me what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus talked to him about the commandments. He said, I've done all that. And Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, one thing you lack, go and sell all. Somebody say all. Go and sell all that you have, give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. But that man, the Bible says, walked away sorrowful. So there's, there's the polar ends right there. You got one man who sold everything and did it with joy. And one man who was given an eye to eye opportunity out of the mouth of Jesus himself to come follow me. And he walked away full of sorrow because he had great possessions. I'm telling you there will be an opportunity in your life. For some of you, it may be soon. For others, it may be later. But I guarantee you this, it's coming. God will present you with a vision. God will put in front of you an opportunity. And it will be an opportunity to go all in for him. All in with your heart. All in with your soul all in with your mind, your will, your emotions, all in with your body and all in with your finances. And you got to decide to do, you got to decide right now what you're going to do when that opportunity comes. I want to be like this man who for joy over the treasure that he found, sold everything he had, gave everything he had, I don't want to be this man we read about. I don't want to be this fool who was rich in stuff, but Jesus said was not rich towards God. You want to know how to abound right now before you have even enough, much less too much? You get rich in God. You get rich in your relationship with him. You get rich in your time in the word. You get rich in your time in prayer. You get rich with revelation. You get rich with vision. 
This is how you abound. This is the know-how of how to abound.